I think this will be the last one, then I'll take a break and I'll come back with the other two. Uh, but uh, you must not think that these lessons are, these Bible studies are for a frag fragmented group in the church. Uh, no message that I preach is for a isolated uh, segment of people. It's for the church. Uh, the church needs to know these things, even though they might they, they may apply mainly to those in the public sector of the ministry. But it is for the church. It's to educate and to inform the church. Uh, anything I teach here is for the church. We don't have a theological college, as I said, but what I have learned in men that are uh, highly more knowledgeable than I in the scriptures or from my own study of the scriptures, I think it is, it is my duty to educate our people in the scriptures. Uh, we're living in a day where people come to church, but they're not educated in the scriptures. They're ignorant. And I would not, Paul keeps saying, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Well, brethren, at, at the end of my life, when I leave, I would not want God's people to be ignorant. Excuse me. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 18 this evening, we'll read down to um, verse 24. Luke 4, 18 to 24. Uh, we read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he have anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He have sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. He gave it again to the minister and sat down. The eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to say unto them this day, Is this scripture fulfilled in your, in your ears? And all bear him witness and wondered, at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. Now, in continuing our Bible study time surrounding the first public appearance of Jesus in the synagogue in his hometown, Nazareth, where he grew up, I'm using this passage as the premise for the subject, public ministry. Um, when we speak of public ministry, we are referring to all forms of public ministry in our church or out of our church. In our church, I cited all of our public ministries, whether it be children's ministries or whatever, whether it be men's fellowship or men's Bible study, it comes under the heading public ministries. You may remember Jesus came to the synagogue and there was delivered to him the book of the prophets. Now that is a very insightful thought. And whenever you and I approach the congregation 
in public ministry, if we're speaking, there is a book that is delivered to us. And we should be very conscious of the book that is delivered to us. It's not any book. It's not the Book of Mormon. It's not the Book of Maccabees. It's the Word of God that is delivered to us. And this is a powerful statement. Paul said, it has, I have received, which I deliver to you. And sometimes we have the precious word delivered to us. If you've got a Bible study, a Sunday school class, a, 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 a men's Bible study class, a book is delivered to you. God's word. And you should be careful how you handle this book. It's very amazing. The book was delivered to him. The one who wrote it and how he treated it. In the delivery of our Lord from Luke 4, 18 to 27, we made four headings under the subject, public ministry. You remember, right? Proclamation, verses 18 and 19. Exposition, verses 20 through 23. Application 24 through 27 and disposi disposition or reaction from the hearers verses 28 through 30. The last time we considered proclamation of the Lord on the three subheads. Now I said proclaim or teaching God's word requires empowerment. That's the word we use. And this empowerment is not only for formal teachers or ministers of the scriptures, but all Christians. The Lord said that since Pentecost, all Christians are qualified to be witnesses. All Christians are empowered. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the othermost part of the earth. Officers in any given church do not have an edge over ordinary people. In fact, sometimes ordinary, at times, God may give common ordinary people in the congregation more insight in the scriptures than those who stand to teach. It is highly possible. And it is also likely, you remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119, um, verses 98 and 99, where the psalmist said, Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. For they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy testimonies are my meditation. Nothing beats the common lay person. Nothing beats reading and studying the word of God. Now everybody doesn't have the ability to absorb and to study. But you should not underestimate your reading of the Word of God. 
the Roman Catholic Church said only the priests could interpret the scriptures. People are in, kept in darkness. Now this philosophy bred apostasy and aristocracy. You know what those two words mean. In Acts chapter 2, it was not only the 12 apostles that received empowerment, but there were 120 that were pronouncing God's word on the streets in Jerusalem. Not only the 12, all of them, they were in the upper room. We also look at another essential in proclaiming God's word, anointing. Sometimes people get carried away with this word. And this, this word, this, this also can relate and refer to Acts 2. That every Christian, every born again Christian, every true Christian is anointed. Not with oil. It refers to the same principle in Acts 2. 1 John 2, 27 tells us this, that the anointing which you have received abides in you. And that anointing enables you to share God's word with other people. Parents can share the word of God with their children. So when I open up Luke 4, I'm not speaking to a segment of people in the congregation, even though, um, you know, it, it relates more to those handling the word of God in a public setting. And, these, the, the, and we should especially take note of what I'm saying. We looked earlier at commission. He sent me to preach. We look at that phrase. And Jesus said to us, as the Father have sent me, so send I you. So, so don't use what I'm saying exclusively for the deacons that might come here sometimes or the pastor or whoever. It's not exclusively, but it, it, it takes particular aim at us. And we should take note of these things. The one factor that is to be, take, to be taken in view is that the Holy Spirit is the one that grant us empowerment, anointing, ability in public service. Now this time we will be looking at our second observation in the Lord's public ministry under the heading, Exposition. Now the Lord not only made a proclamation, he also did an exposition. Verse 20 and 21 we read in Luke chapter 4. And he closed the book and he gave it, he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them. Now here's the exposition. This day is this scripture fulfilling your ears. The scripture that I have read. It is fulfilling your ears. I am the embodiment of what I just read. That's the exposition. It's an interesting phrase and he closed the book. I didn't. I didn't put anything about that in my notes, but I, I think that there is some 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 symbolism in that. And, you know, it's just that he closed the book and gave it to the minister. I, I think there's some symbolism in in in, in that uh, in that he, he fulfilled the book. 
he, he I, I'll get to that. He, he you know, I, 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 I just read this to you, but I've, I've closed the book, I've closed the chapter in regards to Christ coming. I'm here. Close the book. Uh, you can can relate to that. I didn't. E.G.A. Young, one of the commentators of the book of Isaiah, I am sure that he got a volume that I got. I, I'm sure that he might say something like that. Um, but but anyhow, in the in the exposition, there's some thoughts under this heading uh, in verses 20 and 21. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. No, Jesus didn't sit down to listen to the words of a minister. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Who's there to sit down and listen to? Some people, some people say, boy, Jesus was polite. He gave the minister the book and he sat down. You think God come in a congregation to sit down? It means more than that. It has to mean more than that, Brother Colleen. He's Emmanuel. Obviously, he sat down, but what does it mean? He was humble. But in those days, rabbis were normally seated when they're doing exposition, when they're teaching, they sit down and, and teach the scriptures. Today we stand on a pulpit, but back then, I'm sure you guys read this, they sat down to teach. Jesus sitting down infers something greater. He's the judge, he's the authority. The scribe said after the Sermon on the Mount, that he thought he taught with authority. He taught with authority because he's the judge. He's the ruler. To be seated symbolically means to rule. Remember Jesus in Matthew 23, verses 3, 2 through 4 said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not eat after their works, for they say and do not. You know, you and I can be like the scribes and the Pharisees. If, if you dare make applications from the scriptures or exposition, you better be the first one doing what you say. Otherwise, I, I would be the first one that wouldn't listen to you. And 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 I and people people may not say anything, but they'll say something. Uh, and I find there's a lot of saying, but there's so little doing. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees sat in Moses' seat. It says, "For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them." with one of their fingers. And this can be very dangerous. Um, even for instance, we need people, we need men here to do various things. And if, if, if we are laboring in word, we should also be laboring in these things. We should pay a note to this text. 
They bind grievous burdens to hard to be borne and uh, on men's shoulders, responsibilities, but they themselves will, will not move them with one of their fingers. They wouldn't touch anything they're telling people to do. The scribes and the Pharisees were in a position of spiritual authority. They sat in Moses' seat. But in their exposition, they said, but never did. Exposition is explaining what is meant in scripture. And in explaining scripture, one must explain scripture with scripture. I, I, I don't think you should use Webster's Dictionary. To, this, to, to and I've heard it sometimes to interpret a word. I think you should use your Greek or your Hebrew lexicon to interpret a word in scripture. Webster is going to give you an English perspective of a word. Hebrew and Greek lexicons is going to give you the biblical exposition of the word. So, so understand these things. We who are call at times to teach or to say something should sharpen our skills uh, in these areas. We have passed the mediocre stage. I'm, and I'm a good listener, by the way. I listen. Explain what the scripture says. And in explaining the scripture, we do not need a barrage of scripture references to explain a text. You don't need a, a, a heap of messages. We often do this as a means of fillers, filling our delivery with texts. Read this also in Pastor Martin's volume, Pastoral Theology. So you're getting some of the benefits of the things that I learned already. The more verses we offer do not make our point any more correct. As a matter of fact, one or two verses is enough to prove a point. Too many texts often break continuity with hearers, and then they get turned and don't even bother to turn to anymore. So when Jesus sat down, it doesn't mean that he sat down to listen. It was the posture taken when rabbis taught the scriptures. Apostle Paul said, I'm verily a man which I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Sicilia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as you all are this day, Acts 22. And verse 3, the apostle Paul sat at Gamaliel's feet as a student. He sat in a chair and Paul sat down on the ground on his feet. And here we find that Jesus sat down as, as he taught. This meant that Jesus is teaching. We read of Mary many times who sat at Jesus' feet to hear him. What she was doing. Well, he was in a chair and she was 
she, she humbled herself to sat at his feet, to sit at his feet. And by the way, this is also symbolic because when we come under the hearing of the gospel, we are sitting at Jesus' feet. You know, we, we are submitting to his authority. When the word of God is preached, you and I are seated or sitting at the feet of our Lord, hearing him gladly. And the one who is ministering or speaking better be careful that they are doing a correct exposition. Very often we see this trend in the Lord's exposition. Remember that great exposition of the law in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. The Bible says, And seeing the multitude, he went into a mountain, and when he was set, here it is again the same word, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, the word set is to sit. And what Jesus was doing in the Sermon on the Mount, he was exegeting the law. That's exposition. You have, you have heard it have been said long ago, everybody Moses, but I say unto you, whoever look at a woman with lust in her hearts commits adultery. There's the exposition of the command. Don't commit adultery. He exegeted that. You've heard that it was says, do not kill. But I say unto you, whoever look, whoever hid his brother in his heart have committed murder. He exegeted the law. And in our delivery, in our proclamation, it's at times it comes for exposition. As a matter of fact, if there's no exposition, or as Brother Ofni was saying a few times ago, expository teaching, that is what rubs people the wrong way. Expository teaching. And that's the, that's the mark, as, a, as I was told, of a good church. Who, who ain't just dancing and prancing and talking, but ex, exposing the script, people to scriptures. Yeah. So often you am obeying your message, okay? By the grace of God. Another sentence we read in verse 20 under our heading exposition is, And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. I want to I just touch on this briefly too. Now, historically speaking, all the eyes of the synagogue were fastened on Jesus. Now, now, why are they fasting on fast? Why are the eyes fasting on him? Because of his exposition. He, he held the crowd. Now, if you teaching the Bible or speaking the Bible and everybody falling asleep, but something is wrong. If, if they can't follow what you're saying, something is wrong with you. And that's why I always tell people, Stephen, get up, don't sleep under my preaching. It's a terrible thing to be sleeping on the exposition.
all the eyes were fastened on him. But in the spiritual context, in one's exposition of scripture, we better be bringing the attention of others on Jesus, lest we become sure men and sure women, bringing people to ourselves. And I can tell very quickly when people seek looking to bring attention to themselves. I always say, say, say as least as possible. When you're leading song, when you're reading. I said this last time. Make sure that all the eyes are not fastened on you, but on Jesus. If one's goal in teaching and engaging and exegeting is not to get others to fasten their eyes on Jesus, our exposition is faulty, very faulty. Colossians 1, 28, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. That word complete, as I said many times, is the Greek word teleos. It means something like someone have a telescope. That's where you get telescope from. And the telescope bring object close to you. And our objective in preaching and teaching is to bring the object, Christ, close to the one hearing. The Lord's exposition was from Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Concluded by saying this there is this scripture fulfilling your ears. Exposition shows how Christ is the fulfillment of scripture. Not in every instance, but in most instances, what the Lord is saying is he's the embodiment of what was read in the scripture in the ears of the people at Nazareth. He says, I am the embodiment of what Isaiah said. In his exposition of the law, in the Sermon on the Mount, I said to you, the Lord said several times, you have heard that it was said by them of old, but I say unto you. Who's the authority? Exposition of scripture is never carnal. Many have a way of making scripture relate to political events. Dispensationalists are having a field day with this war in Gaza as Israel surround them. Somehow they try to make the scripture fit that. That's not true. That's not true. The Jerusalem that is compassed by armies is not there. The Jerusalem that is compassed by armies is here. By false gospels, by unsaved people. Exposition of scripture is not political or present events. Exposition of scripture always bring attention to the Lord Jesus. Apostle Paul said, but even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil, or the heart, rather, when the heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. What Paul is saying is that the Bible can become a closed book when one does not see Christ. 
remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? That they took away the key of knowledge. They took Christ out of the scriptures. And I'm sure you can go in many congregations and sit down. And there's no Christ. There's music, there's entertainment, there's fashion, no Christ. No gospel. Check me out. Go and sit down in one of them. Listen to them. No Christ. This very day, millions are blinded by the law because they will not see the Lord. The Lord said many times in the word, he who have ears to hear, let him hear. This is exposition, declaring Christ from the scripture. The exposition of God's word is, very, is a very serious matter. And that's why James says, my brethren, be not all many masters, teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater damnation. You know, sometimes on Mondays and many other pastors testify this with me. You go, you go home and you go right through your message in your head mentally. The places you went wrong. Um, the, the things you should have done differently or said differently. Uh, and you, sometimes you are in sheer agony and want to do better. I, I would like to be a better preacher. Uh, make, make a lot of mistakes. Say things the wrong way. Uh, but this is the agony that preachers go through not doing a good enough job, not being as fearful as they ought to be in their exegesis. Uh, this is what you go through every week. Uh, and that's why you should pray for preachers. Next thing about Jesus' exposition, he was gracious, verse 22. And all bear witness and wondered of the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And he said, is not this Joseph's son? Now, now obviously, People always see the human element in a man. Um, but yet we are told that his message was gracious. And our message is one of grace, not works. The Lord's words were not always words that were gracious. They were words of judgment, but they, they, were, they were gracious words. But here the testimony is that his words Gracious, the Lord's exposition was quite different than the scribes and the Pharisees. Colossians tells that our speech be, be one of grace, seasoned with salt, and that ye may know how, how you ought to answer every man. Grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, the message of salvation should always be mixed with the message of judgment. And that's what salt is judgment. You know, I used to hear people saying, as they try to interpret this verse, that your 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 words should be seasoned with salt, you know, that your words should be tasty. That is rubbish. You need to throw that away. Your words should be grace seasoned with judgment, salt. Why do you think God used to make all of the sacrifices salt? Because it was a picture of judgment, just like fire. 
You know, we like to soften up the scriptures. Oh, let your words be sweet. Let your words be seasoned with salt, flavor. No, my words ain't flavor, rebel. It's the grace of God and his judgment. That's the flavor. That's why Jesus says, you are the salt of the world. And if the salt lost its flavor, it's good for nothing. If the church ceased to bring the word of judgment, you know, you're good for nothing. Let your exegesis be gracious, be truthful all the time. The idea is that in one's exposition of the Bible, we should always be calling others to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and not to our accumulated knowledge. Verse 23. You will surely say this proverb. I'm coming to an end. There's so much you have in just short, short space of time. And that's why I say these, these, these studies, I, I, I can't rush over them if they're going to be meaningful. You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Now, there is nowhere in the scripture where we read this proverb, physician healed thyself. If you can find it, show me. I look everywhere for it, I don't find it. Maybe you can find it. Hendrickson said that this was the proverbial saying among the ancients in the time of Christ. And it showed that Jesus was familiar with what was spoken on the streets of Jerusalem. And it is a lesson to us that we should be familiar with what is said among people. We should be familiar in our exposition. We should know if I was to, uh, especially in our applications. When I'm in Zimbabwe, my, my applications are much different than my applications here. Because I'm more familiar with what's going on on the ground in Zimbabwe. Sometimes when I mention the singer, the folk singer, like Oliver Tutsi Mutukudzi, everybody's laughing in the, the church. Oh, you know Oliver. I say, yes, I know Oliver. I listen to his folk songs. I know what he sings about. And sometimes I come into your house and I hear Oliver Tutsi Mutukudzi. Next thing you go back, they turn it off. You know, it's just like listening to Sparrow. What a depot. Come in your house and hear you listen to Sparrow. Like, well, what's going on in your house, depot? You listen to Sparrow? But you should know what's going on. And that's why Jesus said, You should certainly say to me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. So Hendrickson, that this is what Hendrickson said. It was the proverbial saying in his time. We do not always have to stick with the script and exposition of scripture. We should know what is going on around us. We should know what our congregation is made up of. This is the concept that I have adopted. Know what, what is being said. Christ knew what men were thinking and he said, whatever we have heard done in Capernaum do also here in your country. They were expecting Jesus to do the same miracles in Nazareth, as he did in Capernaum, and obviously he did not. But we see he couldn't do many mighty works there. 
So when Jesus closed the book and sat down, he didn't sit down to listen to the Pharisees and the scribes. He sat down to teach. Always remember that. The customary mode was to be seated. He's exegeting the scriptures, but he will move from exposition to application, which I will do, hopefully, whenever I come back. We should not only explain and exegete to hearers, we should call them to apply to application. We should show them what they are not doing and show them what they should be doing. And this is dangerous, especially if we ain't doing it, like the scribes and the Pharisees. Yeah. Sometime in the future, we will get to the third, the third and fourth heading in Jesus' public ministry. We'll do the third and fourth together that I would only have to come back once. Well, let me close by saying that there are three ways Jesus brought application in verses 24 through 27. Uh, I'll give them to you so that when I come back, you will, you will know. One is application was immediate. He made an immediate application. And an immediate application was in reference to himself. He, he, he said, no prophet is without recognition in his own country. That was an application of what he just said. Now I know you guys ain't going to recognize me. I preach to you guys and I exegete to you guys, but no prophet is accepted in his own country. You know, his exposition, his application was direct on the hardness of the hearts of his people. Sometimes we better make right applications, not stand up here and be afraid of people. Uh, so it was immediate application. Two, it was historical. Went back in history, brought applications. He called out two lepers that were healed where God bypassed his covenant people. Again, the application was against the people to show them their unbelief. Third, it was illustrative. We give an illustrative uh, illustration. These are applications that you normally would hear a person that is exegeting the scriptures make. And this is how we can learn from our master, Jesus. Now, these are the things we can implement in public ministry. Proclamation should be followed by exposition. Uh, and obviously, next time we get application. So... Brethren, this is the, this is our portion for tonight. Uh, hopefully, I'll come back again some other time. Oh, God bless you.